Hi folks, Bob Main here with another episode of today's Survival Show. Helping you do what you can with what you have wherever you are. Welcome to episode 215 of today's Survival Show. As most of you know, I keep this show practical, rooted in common sense. I don't go tinfoil hat on you. You know what? This is down to earth because I'm an everyday guy and I'm not some kind of a fancy author or survival trainer or anything like that. I'm just a dude trying to stay prepared as best as I can and share my journey with you. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I interviewed Joe and Dave from Northeast Texas on Teamwork Survival. And I asked Joe to come back. I actually I asked both of these guys to come back, but Dave had an emergency and couldn't be here. He'll be here next time. But I wanted them to talk more about building a prepper team. But more specifically, I wanted Joe to talk about what types of training they actually do when they have a meeting. Now, some of you might be listening to this and thinking, you know, gosh, Bob, I I don't have a prepper team because I'm the only guy in my family who even believes in prepping. Or, Or maybe you're the woman of the family listening to this. And, you know, you can't get your husband interested. Whatever. Whatever the case may be. Sooner or later, you're probably going to run into somebody else, if you just ask enough questions, somebody else in your area who also is into common sense survival or preparedness. And that might be the person that you start as your first member of your team. And maybe you get together, even if it's for getting together for 20 minutes a week to talk about stuff. Hopefully, I'm going to give you some ideas with this episode right here. So I asked Joe to come back and interview with me. And that interview is coming up. You're going to hear in this interview, you're going to hear us talk about my Amazon store. And that's one of the ways that you can support my show. This is a show without commercials. I don't have paid sponsors. I don't want you to listen to a bunch of commercials when you're trying to listen to a podcast. It's kind of irritating to me, so I don't do that. So one of the ways that my show is supported is by people like you. If you want to buy something off of Amazon, go to www.todayssurvival.com. Go to my website first, if you don't mind. Todayssurvival.com. There's two S's in that address. And click my Amazon store. Use that link and you can support the show. And I get a little fee for whatever you happen to buy off of Amazon. I also have a Survival Champions Club. What that is is a group of podcasts, it's interviews by some pretty prominent people in the prepping community. Uh, Glenn Tate, the author of the awesome book series, 299 Days, he's one of the contributors to my Survival Champions Club. He's got some good ideas on building a prepper team. And part two of the interview that I aired several months ago with Glenn Tate is available on my Survival Champions Club. A white bear in Montana the gentleman that I had talking about primitive living skills and how primitive living can apply to everyday life. He is one of my contributors. John Neusser from Tennessee, a very good self-defense trainer, and he's also he also works in an emergency room. He's got some good information to share. Matt Brasick from Midwest Disaster Medical talks about first aid. Matt Chusnick in Austin, in Austin about knife and tool sharpening. Wade in Louisiana on herbs and the nutritional and medicinal uses of herbs. All those are available on my Survival Champions Club. So if you go to todayssurvival.com 
and either use the Amazon store link or on the right-hand margin of the page, look at where it says Survival Champions Club. It'll give you some information there on how you can get one of those premium podcasts. Those are different ways that you can support my show, and I very much appreciate that. Okay, well... Let's get to the interview with Joe in Northeast Texas about how to hold some prepper and survival classes. Stay tuned. Okay, well, joining me again is Mexican Joe from Northeast Texas. Welcome back to today's survival show. Thank you, Bob. Appreciate it. Hey, I appreciate the time that you and Dave... Uh, gave me in the last show, and I want, I promised the listeners I'd bring you back for part two. So we're going to talk, a more, talk some more about uh, team building uh, in, in survival, survival team building and the meetings you guys have and the get-togethers and the training program. Okay. Why don't you, let's, let's talk about some of the subjects that you get together and teach each other. Maybe you can give us a few little pearls of wisdom. Well, uh when we first started it, we really started with the basics of, of prepping and what you need, you know, your priorities, which is water, food, shelter, you know, how to build a fire, medical first aid, security. I mean, a lot of uh, preppers start out with the guns and the bullets and all that, and that's fine, but that stuff's expensive and it takes time to build that. You can't, you're not going to build that quickly. Where education is cheap and lightweight. So to us, as we were waiting on the next paycheck or bunch of money to come in to do some of the other stuff buy more equipment we did training yeah you know that's a good point you know you brought up a good point i want to reemphasize: training is cheap and light that's true usually training is fairly easy to acquire i mean these podcasts are free and it doesn't normally cost much to you know to get good survival education it's all over the internet and things like that so that's a good point well, yeah, and, and also with the, you know, like we talk about how we are a team and now we have become a network because we have multiple retreats. The network gets beyond that because then it gets into your forum. The people in your forum, um, Old Soldier and some of the other guys on the forum, I mean, we email back and forth with them and swap information and get resources. Nobody has, nobody knows everything, but being able to network and get the resources and the training is really what this is all about. And that's why it becomes a lifestyle, not a hobby. You're exactly right. So when you guys get together, when you have your meetings in Northeast Texas, talk about maybe a recent meeting that you had and what you actually uh, taught. Okay. Um, well, one of the most recent ones was uh, maps, map reading. And uh, then we doubled into land navigation some. Um, we're both ex-military. Uh, I was more on the ground uh, where Dave was more in a technical field. So I had more map time so showing people how to how to read a map um and i'm not talking about a road map i'm talking about a map with contour lines and actually shows true north so you know what you're doing so you know how to read a map uh that's very important because if you if you've got an area that you are going to be living in let's say you've got your retreat or if you've got a place you're going to run to a bug out location it's really easy to get a map of that area in a scale to where you can read it so you know what you know where everything is so that way if one guy says hey you know i found some herbs or i found some wild sweet potatoes or some fruit some food or here's where the pigs or the deer hanging out you can mark it on your map and then using land navigation you can go to that point you know 
I'm glad you brought up Joe. I'm glad you brought up map reading. That seems to be a lost art these days. Uh, talk, give, give us, give people some ideas on some of the basics of map reading. Well, first off, um, I went through uh, your Amazon site. When you read a, when you read a map, one, I order my maps. I order all my maps at the same place. It's a website. It's called mytopo.com. You go in, you choose a map. Um, I like to get a one in twenty four thousand scale or bigger, or actually, or one to ten thousand, which gives you more detail. Mytopo.com. Yeah, mytopo.com. Okay, my mytopo.com, and I'll put a link in the show notes. Right, and you go there, and you basically you type in your zip code or your area, and it'll throw you where you want to be. Then you basically online you drag the icon, drag the map where you want it to be centered th- theoretically over your property or your area of operation. Then from there, you just basically build your map. Um, you can do it with either military grid, uh, civilian longitude, latitude, or both. I use both because uh-huh. it will overlay them on there, and then all you have to do is know which, which one's which. And then the smaller the number, if it's a 1 in 24,000 scale map, then that's pretty much pretty standard. But if you want serious detail but a smaller area covered – Go with the one in ten thousand, and that'll give you a lot more detail. A lot, you can see more creeks, more hills, more valleys, more draws, that kind of stuff. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I just tested it out. I put in my address while I've been talking to you. It's pretty neat. I like how that works. Yeah, and I mean, some people like to do the the hybrid maps where it pretty much looks like Google Earth. Yeah, I don't like to do that on a topo map because then you can't see the creeks and you can't see the contours. It's hard to see. Just get the topo map, but you follow that that program through online, and basically a two-foot by three-foot laminated map, something like that, is like 30 bucks. Well, I'm looking right now. Yeah, you're right. It is. It's right around 30 bucks. That's a good deal. 30, 35 bucks, and then you've got your areas, so now you're based on, okay, here's what I've got. And now what you do is you can now take that map and then you go back onto Amazon through your site and you order a template for that size map. And I think I got them off Amazon through your website. They're like $4 a piece and I think I ordered six of them. So when I give a class, everybody's got one. And you learn how to – and you can go to your Army-Navy store. You can go online and find military map reading and go through that training class or find somebody who was a a soldier – who knows it, and he can show you. Okay. And you can break things down into longitude, latitude is one way. Um, me being trained in the military, I, I like to use the grid pattern, and you run a six- or eight-digit grid coordinate. But the thing with the map that's really important is you've got to, if you, you want to have the grid coordinate so you can tell somebody where something is, whether it be food, animals, creek, fresh water, a spring, whatever it is. Yeah, and then that person with just a simple eight-digit number, they know exactly where you're where you're talking about. So, uh, Joe, what you're talking about? Then you go over to my Amazon store at todayssurvival.com. You click the Amazon store and you order a template. Like, for example, if I was going to print the thirty-six by forty-eight size, I can order a template for that, right? Right. But what you do is the map that you chose. Let's say if you chose a one in twenty-four thousand scale map, uh-huh. you get a template for that, for that map, for that scale, not for the size of the map. It's for the grid pattern. I got you. Okay, it's for the grid pattern. There we go. Yep, okay. What's the scale of the map? Right, what's the scale of the map, not what size is the map? Yep. 
And then the one I got actually had three different scales on it. And it using the template, and when you get the template, it's really cool because it, when you lay the template down on your mat, it's clear. And it's got two different compass headings in it. It's got the the infantry 360-degree circle in there, so you can get a compass heading that way. And then it's also got the military uh, azimuth, which is 6,400 mils. So you can use either one of those map compass reading uh, tools. So you say, okay, from here I need to go to, to go on a heading of, you know, seven degrees. Okay, seven degrees is seven degrees. It's not north northwest. So it's just a more precise way of you of reading a map. So you get your map, you get your template, you learn how to read the map, and you say, okay, if I'm here and I want to go there, I have my template, and you just kind of lay a string or a, a piece of paper across it, and the map will tell you what your what your azimuth is using a compass to get there. Okay. So then you learn your pace count, which is pace count is really easy. Most of this, these topo maps are done in, in meters. Um, so you basically just take a tape measure and measure out 25 or 50 meters. And you walk that like four times back and forth on a flat ground and you get your pace count. Now my pace count, cause I'm about five, nine, and I'm kind of I've kind of got a long stride. Fifty-seven paces for me, using counting both feet. Fifty-seven paces is fifty meters. Okay, so if you got to go fifty meters, you're going to go fifty-seven paces. So then, yeah, that's good. That's an easy way to figure out how many paces you've got to you've got to tra- uh, travel to get to where you're going. Right, right. Now, now you and Dave are taller than me, so you guys may do fifty meters, you know, fifty paces, you know, and some people do it every other foot. Yeah, you know, I'm gonna... It really doesn't matter when you when you get some of the manuals on how to do this. It really you can get the information, but you need to get with somebody who knows how to do it and and do that. And that was that was the most recent class was the map reading, uh, showing them how to do it, um, how to get from point A to point B. There's other classes on how to get from point A to point B, and okay, all of a sudden I've got a water feature in my way. Okay, then you turn right angle, you know, or you know, right angle to your to your whatever it is, a pond or a lake, and you go 100 paces down. You follow it on the map. Mm-hmm. Then you go, you know, through, you know, underneath your feature. Then you come back up 100 paces. So you end up, so you know exactly what your distance is and where you are on the other side. And then you continue continue to your target. Yeah, I wish I'd have been part of that class. That's good. That, that's... Well, and that's, an, that's, it. that's really an easy class to put on. I mean, we've got the acreage out here because mm-hmm. we, that's why we live out in the country and we just... We just went out and uh, did a survey of uh, 300 acres not far from us that's open. And the, with the landowner, the agreement we've got is we won't leave nothing but a footprint. And if we put, find trash, we'll pick up trash. If there's you know limbs or, or trees down in the, in the trails, we'll clean them off the trail. So it works for everybody. We get to go out there and walk around and practice our map reading and, and land navigation, and they get their trails cleared for free. Yeah. So it's just, it just it encompasses the network even bigger. It's a win-win. Joe, did you say do you use the one in twenty-four thousand scale? Is that what you use? Typically, I use the one in twenty-four thousand for my retreat. Mm-hmm. I just changed to a new map, and I'm gonna go to a one in ten thousand mm-hmm. because it's so much more detail. And basically, that gives me about four square miles. Okay. So it really is my immediate area. Now, if I do a one in twenty-four thousand miles then I can basically get either, I mean, it goes from one end of my town, probably eight miles one side of my town to eight or ten miles the other side of my town. Right. So really, you, you play with them and play with those scales, 
and see how much area you actually want to cover on a map. And you can have multiple maps of the same area because the grids are going to be the same. Yep. It's all a matter of how much area do you want to see. That's good. Uh, th- th- this is some good stuff for people to get started on on getting a topo map. So you dump, you've done a class on that. What else have you done lately? Well, now that class actually becomes two or three classes because you do your map reading, and then it turns it into land navigation. And so then your land navigation is how do I make apply the map to the real earth? And so then that becomes the second part of the class. Um, and then those classes... Uh, the map class to me is really a great class because it keeps rolling into the next class. Um, then you get into, if you were going to get into movement, now in a gridded down situation, you know, it, the fastest way to get from point A to point B would be to get on the road and start walking. Um, if you got a bunch of thugs running around or problems and you're in a bad area, you really don't want to be walking down the street. So our theory is that you'll be off the road but paralleling the road. So now you're dealing with cover and concealment. You know, and there's a difference between cover and concealment. Uh, cover means that you cannot theoretically be hit or shot. Concealment just means you're hidden. Uh, so in the movies, it shows, you know, everybody's hiding behind a car door. Um, I don't, I think anything bigger than a 22 can go right through a car door. And I've seen the YouTube videos that prove it. So that it, it, these classes just keep rolling into one another, and you, so now you're doing movement across. Movement. That's another class, you know, that we've recently done. And then once you get down and you're like, you know, okay, how much water did you bring? Well, I've got three bottles. Okay, now let's turn around. Let's pull into uh, water purification. You again, you go to Amazon. You get the water purification pen, or you can get a little uh, one of the little small uh, Berkey pumps. And you pump water out of the creek and into your uh, camel pack or into your canteens. So that's one of the things we like to do is we like to take, we'll take a class one weekend and then we'll wait and two, two weeks later we'll do another class and we'll try to tie them all in together. And when we get to the end of, and we do our classes theoretically every two weeks. That's so what I was going to ask is how long you meet or how, excuse me, how often you meet and then how long do you meet? Well, yeah, it's pretty much every two weeks. Um, we've been training with a new group and doing some cross-training with them, and their their schedule is kind of off of ours. So we do, we've been doing ours once a month, and then we do theirs once a month so it works out. And then when we do ours, um, we typically do it pretty much just a Saturday morning. Everybody's got a lot of other stuff to do, but you can get your practical exercise done in the morning. Now, when you do the land navigation where you tie it all in together – Again, we're only going across 300 acres, and we like to do it in the morning, so we don't we don't want anybody to get hurt, heat exhaustion. It's in Texas now; it's getting hot. So, but this also is going to lend into physical fitness because you're going to be out there, you're going to be sweating. It gives you a really good idea of how much water you need. That's the first thing I thought of. Is this is also good fitness training? Gives you an idea how much water you need. Probably gives you an idea how much food you need too. Right, right. You know, and then let's say. You know, so that, that's kind of what we've done. Now, the next one we'll do is we'll do it with bug-out bags. Because up to this point, the first time you do it, you just do it in, in just your field clothing. You know, maybe a camel pack. The next time, you may wear some tactical gear. The next time after that, you're going to go full bug-out bag. And everybody needs to actually use the bug-out bag they would carry. Now, your bug-out bag is different than my bug-out bag. Your bug-out bag may weigh 20 pounds. Mine weighs 50. So... <laughs> That teaches me how to pack light and take 
only when I what I really think I'm going to need. But in my scenario, and well, and yours is probably not much different. Can be pretty far because I know you. San Antonio to Houston's a long walk. Uh, <laughs> that's a real long walk. You know, I wanted to ask you a question. When you do this, does it make you realize how much you can really do without? Yes. Yes. Um, um, comfort is no longer an issue. Uh, utilitarian uh, things are an issue. Um, we have we tend to all run the same gear um, because we can swap magazines, we can swap vests, we can do all of that. But when you're out and about, um, initially I've got probably eight or ten bottles, half liter bottles of water in my in my bug out bag. And I know that in my vehicle I have an entire case of water. Well, that case of water goes into my camel pack. And then those other bottles, I will refill my camel pack, but keep the bottles so I can pull water out. See what I'm saying? Now all of a sudden I've got these half-liter empty canteens that I can pull, put in a creek, gather water. I can purify the water while it's in those bottles you know, and let it sit for two hours while it does its thing. Yeah. But yeah, you really do. You're not going to carry everything um, – We've got some really big knives and really big this and really big that, but you don't want to carry all that. Um, I've got some really lightweight limb saws. Um, carry I don't carry really more than two pairs of spare socks. I carry uh, one spare change of clothes because if, you, if you're walking for days, and that's my scenario, I'll be walking for days or weeks, you know, if, it, if, it's, if I happen to be as far out as I typically can be. Um, when I stop for the day, I'll try to find a water source. I'll take off my clothes, wash off my clothes, wash off my body for my own sanitation reasons so I don't, you know, get dirty, get nasty, get sick. I'll wash those clothes. I'll put on the clothes that I washed yesterday, and I'll hang these up. So you're not going to be carrying five pairs of clothes, three pairs of shoes, all this other stuff in a, in a bug-out locate, in a bug-out situation. Yeah, you said your pack's 50 pounds. You know, I want people to think about that. You know, 50 pounds is, it might not seem like a lot at first, but put a 50-pound pack on your back and carry it all day, and then tell me how, how light that is. <laughs> right. I think, right. You'll, I think you'll find that you'll want to downsize pretty quickly. Right, and what my scenario is, is that initially all my water goes into my camel pack, and that solves that problem, and then my bottles are empty. Um, now, when it comes to food... Um, my food is actually very light. I mean, I've got the immediate, and also how you situate your gear. Because with me, I've got granola bars and sunflower seeds and stuff like that up quick where I can get to them so I can snack them as I'm moving. Then I've got stuff that I don't worry about, like uh, I don't carry any canned food. Because cans theoretically don't weigh much. Because, okay, well, they got corn in them or beans or whatever. Okay, they have pack well. Um, the cans themselves are heavy. If you had one or two, it wouldn't be a big deal because you can turn around and don't throw that away. You can reuse that can to cook with, to boil water if you needed to. But that kind of stuff just doesn't pack well, and it's additional weight. It'd be easier just to go get you, you know, four or five packs of MREs, keep that, because that collapses. That doesn't weigh anything. I mean, it weighs nothing compared to the food. Um, beef jerky is lightweight. Um, That's what and, I pack a lot of. I pack a lot of beef jerky, and I pack a lot of vacuum-sealed foods because they, they pack well and they're light. Right. Now, one of the ones that I think of is that I know that, and I know from being in the military that, you know, the first day you're out, yeah, you're going to eat a whole MRE, but 
after that, you, an MRE can last you an entire day. They're supposed to be one meal, but they're, you know, you, you can make them stretch, especially once you get moving and working and all that. You don't want to eat a whole one. So what I do is I also carry yo-yos. A yo-yo is a fishing device. Now, in Louisiana, they're legal. Here in Texas, they're illegal to use, but not to own. And what it is is you tie the yo-yo up to a tree, and you set a little leader out, and you basically just unreel this string, and you drop the line into a creek or into a pond. And when a fish grabs that hook, it sets the hook on the fish, but the fish can't get away. It's kind of like a trot line. Ah, okay. I got you. But they're illegal in Texas, but in a grid-down situation, the game warden's the last person I'm going to worry about. Well, sure. In a grid-down situation, you're right. I mean, so you got your yo-yos, and you're going to catch fish that way. That's good. Right. So when I when I typically, when I, I'm, again, thinking that in my bug-out situation, I'm going to be in Abilene, or today I was in Weatherford, from Weatherford to the Tyler area. That's That's a drive. So if I'm walking that, then... I'm going to travel at night and get my rest during the day. So when I come in for the, when I come in to do my rest, one of the last thing I'll do before I lay down to try to get some rest is set out my yo-yos. And I also I also know my areas, even that route that far, and I know where all my water sources are. So I, I'm always going to try to camp near a water source. Yep, and yeah, so this is good stuff, and so. One class sort of leads to another class, doesn't it? For the most part, it does. I mean, and, and the early classes were water purification. Okay, well, that, most people think that's just a class. You know, it's like, okay, and, you know, we'll teach a camouflage class or we'll teach or we'll do weapons training, you know, uh, sim- similar to what you do. Well, at the end, when you get to the end of the, of the land navigation, if you wanted to do an entire weekend out of it, it all comes together because you're – you're doing weapons, you're doing water purification, you're doing movement, with, uh, you're having to read your map, read your compass, you know, work around obstacles, all of that. And we also make sure, because in the military, if they tell you your pack has to weigh this amount, don't get caught putting in your pack. Don't get caught what? If you, sometimes, and it never fails in the military... If they tell you your pack's supposed to weigh 40 or 50 pounds, when you get to the end, it better weigh that. Or they're going to make you do it again, and they're going to make you carry twice the load. Yep. <laughs> so so cheating, cheating, if you if you try to cheat on what your bug-out bag actually weighs, you're cheating yourself because you're not getting the training. Right. Now, at the end of your exercise, if you realize that this pack is way too heavy for me, now you rework your bag, and next time you go out, you work with what's packed in your bag. And this is why I'm such a big fan of getting together and doing these types of classes and training, because I think there's a lot of people that may not even realize that their bug-out bag is too heavy, because they've and they've never actually done one of these before. And, you know, I've said it before on this show, I, I will actually go and take my bug-out bag out, throw it on my back, and just carry it around for a while just to kind of get a feel for whether I have too much in there or not. Right, right. I mean, we were. I went out on one exercise with a group, and somebody asked this, this guy, he's like, hey, can you give me a hand with this? And he looks at me, he goes, here, can you hold my weapon? I'm like, no. Don't you ever set your weapon down. No. I said, you need to learn how to sling that thing across your back so you can use your hands 
I said, because if something happens and you're 30 feet over there and something happens between you and me, I'm not bringing you your weapon. Because I've got mine. That's another like, thing. People need to realize, you know, whatever weapon it is that you use, if it's a long gun, you got to have a sling for it. Right. you got to have a sling for it in some way. Um, you know, your sidearm, you know, it's got to be in a holster to where when you take off and you go running, it doesn't fall out. Yeah, retention. you got to have a holster with retention so it doesn't fall out. You know, right. and, and a good test for bug-out bags for weight and things like that. I'll tell you what I do sometimes. If I don't have the opportunity to throw my bug-out bag, and I use, a, I use a Jansport internal frame pack, which I like the internal frame packs with the internal aluminum frame because it helps distribute the weight evenly. Right. But sometimes I can't throw that on. So what I did, like, for example, I'm talking to you right now. I'm in downtown New Orleans on business. Uh, so what I do is I carry my backpack around New Orleans. And so my it's not my bug out bag, it's my actual business backpack. And I get everything. I got my business supplies, I got my demos, I got my laptop laptop and stuff. This thing probably weighs forty pounds. Right. Well but you're getting the physical training. I'm getting the physical training. So carrying this forty pound backpack around New Orleans doing making my business calls, and the reason I do it, there's there's a couple reasons why I walk. Number one if any of you ever worked in downtown New Orleans, you know that driving down here sucks and parking, it's just not worth it. I get good exercise. It helps keep me in shape. I walk, and I imagine myself carrying my bug-out bag. What if this is a survival situation? And this backpack is not my business backpack with all my business supplies, but it's my bug-out bag, which weighs probably actually less than my business backpack does. But I figure, hey, if I can walk from 9 to 5, and put on a couple miles of walking in New Orleans, you know, this, this is kind of simulating what it's going to be like if I have to get on foot and take my bug-out bag with me. Right. Now, when it comes to a bug-out bag, um, everybody talks about, I need to have water, I need to have food, I need to have this, I need to have that. And it, it, this, somebody told me this, and it just it made so much sense, and it was one of my V8 moments, I couldn't believe I forgot it. <laughs> the very first thing that goes in your bug out bag is shoes you can walk in. Amen to like, that. A, a good pair high, of yeah, comfortable top, shoes. Well, some high top uh, trail boots, kind of thing. Comfortable ones, though. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, if you ask any, if you ask any woman, you know, why are there tennis shoes in your car or flip flops in your car? Because they don't they don't drive with high heels on. They get in, they throw those off at the side, and they wear these other shoes. Well, if, if you were a woman and something happened and you had to bug out and all you had in your car was high heels, you're in trouble. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing even, not just women, but even guys. You know, if you don't... Well, like, for example, right now, I'm in dress shoes. I just got done making a bunch of business calls before I got on the line to talk to you. I'm in dress shoes right now. And, you know, if I, if I drive around in my car with, with nothing but my dress shoes on and for some reason the stink hits the fan and I've got to go on foot, I'm, my, my feet are going to be hurting pretty quick. Right, and that's why I don't even carry the shoes in my vehicle. They're in my bag. Right. So they're, and they're in the top of the bag, so I basically something happens. I rip the bag out, I set it down, I open up the top. Here's my initial gear. Here's my hat to keep the sun off of me. Uh, here's my bottles of water to put them in my camel pack. And here's my shoes and, and fresh socks. Because you, you may be in dress socks, and those don't really work, you know, with boots or with whatever your hiking shoes are. So make sure your bug-out bags are packed with good, comfortable, most preferably high-top shoes, and 
you know what, this, this, is, um, this may sound weird to some people, but not only extra socks, extra underwear, extra t-shirts, stuff like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the, the actually the outer garment, you're wearing something. You're wearing whatever you're wearing. You can wear that again. Now, in my line of work, it, it's, I'm in work pants and t-shirts, that kind of thing. So that can, be, that can work for me for days. But your underwear and your socks and your t-shirts, yeah, two or three of those, because you can go through, if you're hiking, you can go through two pairs of socks in a day. Absolutely. Because if your feet, you got, that's one thing. If you're doing a lot of walking, your feet are the most important thing. You've got to keep your feet dry. You've got to keep your feet, you know, comfortable, uh, you know, no blisters. You know, that's another thing for your bug out bag is when you get into your medical kits, you can either say it's part of your medical kit or part of your bug out bag, foot powder. Keep your feet dry. Yeah. And so do you teach this stuff in your classes too? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's part of where it all comes, the accumulation of all this. Because some of these guys have never been in the military. Guys who have been in the military and have been what we call ground pounders, they know that. They know about their feet. And they know how to travel light. Um, I've had guys come in and they're like, well, here's my sleeping bag. And I just tell them, you're not going to carry a sleeping bag. (laughs) Yeah, look at at how much bulk you're going to have in a sleeping bag. And wait, I carry a poncho and a poncho liner. That's yeah. it. That's my sleeping bag. And if I need a pillow, I've got a bug out bag. And I can stick all that in one little pocket of my bug out bag. Yeah, and ponchos and poncho liners are very light. They don't take up much room. And, you know, in a pinch, if you really had to, this is one of the big reasons why I'm a big fan of keeping a couple of those contractor-grade 55-gallon plastic bags, those black contractor-grade ones. Right, right. I mean, you can, you can make a poncho out of that. Um, you can make a sleeping bag out of that. Yeah, well, I actually make a sleeping bag out of my poncho and poncho liner. But, but you can do the same thing like you're saying with a contractor-grade uh, trash bag. You're going to need to ventilate it a little bit, but it's not that hard to ventilate it, and they're very lightweight to carry. Right. Well, and that's something else that, you know, when you, since you mentioned bags or, or, or plastic bags, um, Ziploc bags, gallon size, sandwich size, and snack size. Because if you're wandering down the, you know, down a trail, and you start seeing blackberries and other things that you recognize that are edible, pick all you can, throw them in a bag. You can eat them later and snack on them as you go. And that's food that you picked up, you didn't, you weren't initially carrying, so you added to your food stores while you were on the road. Right. So uh, everybody, right now, put in your bug out bags. The snack size, the pint size, quart size, and the gallon size Ziploc bags, about two of each. Yeah, and again, your, like you said, your contractor grade trash bags. Yeah, things like that, or ponchos, poncho liners and stuff. Uh, this is good. It's good stuff. So you teach this stuff in class. So one class seems to lead to another. And as I've mentioned so many times, this is why I think I, I like to encourage people to have some kind of a prepper team, even if it's just two or three people. I mean, there are two people that, that I know in San Antonio that I network with that are, that are also preppers. And, you know, we're educating each other. Right. And, and two people, and let's say you've got three people down there. Well, three people, then all of a sudden a guy calls us, hey, you know, we're going to – we try to do it where it's structured, where somebody – we do it at a – if you, somebody says, hey – with me sure bring them out and yeah. then i bring a bunch you got a good sized team and then your team becomes a network because these guys may have different locations well that's fine but the training is what it's all about right the training and teaching each other you know i mean it's not like 
I would imagine that when you guys get together and you hold classes, it's not just one person doing the training. You're also teaching each other, right? Right, right, right. Well, and we all, yeah, I mean, Dave's got specialties that he does. Some of the other guys have specialties they do, um, you know, and I've got my things. And we, if you just basically grab what you want to teach today, what's going to accumulate into something at the end, and you teach that. But we kind of structure like, okay, well, you know, Dave's going to take an hour, and then Joe's going to take an hour, and then this other guy may take an hour, and then we're going to kind of talk about some other stuff and go into it. But, yeah, everybody's – and our classes are very interactive because even as the instructor – and you've said this on your show many times – even as the instructor, a student will ask you a question – and it will be something that you didn't even think of. Yeah, that's right. You know, and so we learn we learn from giving the classes as much as, you know, getting classes. Yeah, exactly. Good, Joe. Thanks a lot. Um, I want to wrap this up, but I wanted to get you back on. And I imagine there's probably going to be even more. So we might be doing a part three and a part four pretty soon. Oh, yeah. And then and now I'm starting to see people on your forum from coming in from other podcasts that I listen to. And we're all networking back and forth. So... We're recruiting people over from other podcasts over to your side. Well, thank you. You know, we got to stick together. Uh, I, you know, we're a minority anyway. The people who are preppers, I mean, we're a minority. Unfortunately, we're a minority. I wish we were a majority, but we're not. But I think we got to stick together because I've said many times, people who think that they can do this alone, be a loner, head out in the woods and do all that stuff, I think you're fooling yourself. Yeah, I, I totally agree. You can't do everything and you can't be awake 24-7. No, you can't, and, and nobody knows everything. As much as that might bust some egos, nobody knows everything. Right, right, exactly. And next time, you know, we get a chance to talk again. You know, Dave will be in. He had a family emergency. He had a death in the family, and he apologizes for not being here, but he wants to he wants to get in and keep talking to you too. So maybe next time we can get him involved again. Absolutely. Tell him I'll take a rain check on that. Appreciate it, Joe. Thanks again. Okay, thank you, Bob. You have a good day. Take care. Well, many thanks to Joe. I appreciate him donating his time. Please make sure that you show appreciation to the people who donate their time to come on this show. Uh, time is a, is an asset that's not renewable. And so I appreciate your time listening to this podcast. And I appreciate the people who donate their time to bring you the good information. One way you can appreciate them is by joining today's survival forum. If you join my forum, it's free. You can converse with the podcast listeners who listen to this show. I just ask you one favor. Send me an email at bob at todayssurvival.com. That's bob at todayssurvival.com. Send me an email and tell me what username that you used to register for the forum. I'll approve your account personally, and that way I know that you're not a spammer. With all that said, folks, thanks very much for listening to another episode of Today's Survival Show. It's my goal to help you do what you can with what you have wherever you are. I'm Bob Main. I'm your host. I'll talk to you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.